0: where where have they gone where have they disappeared to i mean i see a lot of them around the church building this morning but unfortunately i don't see a whole lot of them outside of this church building i don't see a lot of them on television I don't see a lot of them in my community. I don't see a lot of them in my country, unfortunately, as I observe the world in which I'm living right now. I don't see a lot of godly families. I don't see a lot of families who love God. I don't see a lot of families who want to please God and give him excellence every single day. Unfortunately, as each and every year and and month and week passes by, it seems like the godly families are disappearing. It seems like they're becoming harder and harder to find. It seems like they're becoming extinct. It seems like they're becoming like dinosaurs. And and my question is, why, why is that? Why is it that godly families are disappearing from our society? Could it be because our culture as a whole is drifting further and further away from the word of God? Could it be because of the rise of immorality and divorce and deadbeat dads? Could it be because of the general lack of respect for the authority of God? Or maybe it's because of the general lack of, of respect by, by many children that they should have for the authority of their parents. Or maybe it's because that, that far too many families today are, are just too busy. They're just too busy to spend a lot of time together. They're just too busy to, to gather around the kitchen table, to read the Bibles and pray and talk about spiritual things. Brothers and sisters, I believe that there are many reasons as to why godly families are disappearing from our culture. But regardless of the reasons, we got to make sure that they never disappear here. We got to make sure that we always have godly families in this place. We got to understand that if we were truly going to remain a church church, that glorifies God at the highest level, that in addition to being a church that is of one heart and soul, like we talked about last Sunday, we also got to strengthen and support godly families. We also have to encourage godly families. We also have to equip godly families. We have to equip those families that are already structured in the way God desires, and we also got to equip Those families that may be less ideal. Those families that are broken, those families that are hurting. Those families who may have had to suffer through terrible things like divorce or the loss of a parent. Or maybe they are families where one parent is a Christian and the other is not. We got to encourage and equip those families as well. Nurturing and equipping every family. It's so important to the spiritual health of a church. In fact, it is interesting to me how throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find so many examples of godly families. Have you ever noticed that before? You ever notice how throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find so many examples given to us by the Holy Spirit of family units who loved God, they wanted to honor God, and they did it together. I'm reminded of a couple of examples we have in the book of Nehemiah. Will you take out your Bible, please, and go with me into your Old Testament, to the book of Nehemiah. If you remember, we studied some from Nehemiah earlier this year. We had a couple of sermons from the book of Nehemiah. We had a sermon from Nehemiah 3 back in January, I believe. In Nehemiah chapter 3, remember, we we have a list here of specific people who helped Nehemiah rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I want you to notice carefully verse number 12. I really like verse 12. In Nehemiah 3 and verse 12, after telling us about a man named Malchijah in verse 11, it says next to him, next to, next to Melchijah, Shalom, the son of Helohash, the official of half the district of Jerusalem made repairs. He made repairs to the wall, he and his what? He and his daughters. Notice how among the people who helped Nehemiah, get this rebuilding project done in record time, was a man named Shalom. Shalom was involved in this work along with his daughters. Evidently, this man didn't have any sons, but he did have some daughters. He did invest his daughters in this critical work for God. He did invest himself and his whole family and making sure that these walls were were rebuilt following the Babylonian captivity. Shalom involved his daughters in this critical work for the Lord, and i got to tell you something, there is no greater thing that a man or father could involve his children in than the work of God. There is no greater thing that a man can involve his his children in than the service of God. A man involving his children in the work of God is far greater than involving them in sports or band or karate or any other extracurricular activity. Now, I'm not saying that involving our kids and that kind of stuff is wrong and sinful, but those things don't compare to getting them involved in the work of God. Shalom and his daughters were a godly family. They were involved together. And rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now you put that with what you find in Nehemiah chapter eight. Go in your Bible now, please in Nehemiah chapter eight. In Nehemiah chapter eight, this is after the b- walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt, Some time has elapsed. And the scripture says in verse one, "And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. Now, when the Bible says the water gate here, it's not referring to anything that has to do with Richard Nixon, okay? Not that Watergate. This is a different water gate. This is the water gate that's in the city of Jerusalem. All the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and watch this now, all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people, all the people, were attentive, they listened carefully to the book of the law. Notice the very beautiful picture that the writer gives us here concerning this particular occasion. Notice how here on this occasion we have a congregation of people in the land of Israel who were gathered outside of the water gate to worship God. They are gathered outside of the water gate to hear teaching and reading from the word of God. The scripture says that men were gathered on this occasion. And women were gathered on this occasion. And all of those who could listen with understanding, they were also gathered on this occasion. When the Bible says all of those who could listen with understanding, we need to understand that that is a reference to children. That is a reference to young people. That is a reference to young people who were old enough and mature enough to both listen to and comprehend the Word of God. On this occasion, you got families gathered. You got mommies, you got daddies, you got children who all gathered together in front of the Watergate to bring honor to God. To worship God, to hear, to hear reading and teaching from the Word of God. In fact, verse 3 says that they did this for hours. They did this from early morning until midday. You know what that means? That means that this wasn't some two or three hour worship service here. No, this service, this worship assembly lasted for at least six hours. This was a long time for these parents and these children to be gathered together outside in front of the water gate to hear reading and teaching from the Word of God. That's how serious these families were about serving the Lord. There are godly families all throughout the book of Nehemiah, but not only do we find them in the Old Testament, not only do we find them in Nehemiah, I want you to go back to the book of Acts now, to the verses that brother John read for us. Go to Acts 21. We find godly families in the New Testament also. Oh, yes, godly families, they're in the New Testament. They're in Acts 21. Let's start with verse number 1. I'm going to reread some of these verses for the sake of emphasis. Acts 21.1 says, and Luke is writing this, and he's writing it in the first person now. He says, when we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patira. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail." When we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre. And from there, the ship was to unload its cargo. Now watch verse four. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days and they kept telling Paul through the spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we left and started on our journey while they all with wives and children escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home again. Notice another beautiful scene given to us in the Bible. Here, Luke, the writer of Acts He tells us about an occasion how when departing, before departing on a dangerous trip to the city of Jerusalem, some families came together in Tyre to encourage both he and the apostle Paul. Luke says, some Christian fathers and mothers and children, they came to Tyre to bid Paul farewell. They came to pray with him, they came to wish him Godspeed. This actually reminds me of something similar that I was able to experience about 13 years ago. About 13 years ago, before going to preach the gospel, in Africa, I can recall having some Christian families meet us at the church building in Boma, Texas, to, to pray with us, to hug us, to embrace us, to encourage us, and even give us money to give to starving Brethren in in Zimbabwe and Botswana, it is certainly a beautiful thing to see families, mommies, daddies, children, who want to support the work of evangelism together. You had Christian families who met in Tyre to encourage the Apostle Paul before he went on to Jerusalem, but we're still not done because we go back to Acts 21. Look at verse 7 this time. Look at verse 7. We're not done. It says, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we gathered, or we arrived, I'm sorry, at Ptolemais, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So notice how after they left the city of Tyre, Luke says that eventually he and the apostle Paul arrived in Caesarea. They arrived in the Caesarea that Cornelius was from, according to Acts chapter 10. When they got to Caesarea, they stayed with Philip the Evangelist. This is the same Philip the Evangelist who was one of the original seven seven deacons in the Jerusalem church, according to Acts 6. This is the same Philip the Evangelist who preached to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. This is the same Philip the Evangelist who preached to and baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. When Luke and Paul got to Caesarea, they stayed with Philip the Evangelist, but not only did they stay with Philip the Evangelist, they also stayed with he and his four daughters. Luke says that Philip had four daughters who were prophetesses. Philip and his whole family opened their home to these traveling preachers. Philip and his whole family showed hospitality to these preachers. Philip and his whole family blessed these traveling preachers with the opportunity to get some rest before they went on to Jerusalem. Philip and his four daughters or an example of a godly family. What I just want you to see is the Bible is loaded with them. The Bible is loaded with example after example of godly families. The Bible was loaded with numerous examples of families who loved God and they loved others and they did God's work together. Godly families are found all throughout the Bible. The question though is, is how can we have godly families today? How can we be like these families? How can we glorify God with our families? How can we serve God with our families? What are some practical things that we can do with our spouse and with our kids today that will please God and bring Him, bring him honor at a very high level? Well, the first thing we can do with our family To serve and bring glory to God is pretty obvious. In fact, it is actually something that that we're doing right now. It It is worshiping God. Godly families can worship God together. Godly families can get up on the Lord's Day. And they can get dressed and they can get in their car and they can drive here to this place to sing praises to the Lord and to hear preaching and teaching from the Word of God, and to partake of the Lord's Supper if they're all Christians, and to give, to give back to the Lord a portion of their blessings. Godly families can worship God together. In fact, as I look around this room this morning, I am so encouraged by all of the godly families I see here. I'm so encouraged by all the godly parents and the, and the godly grandparents and the godly children. I'm encouraged by all of the godly families in this place every single Sunday. I'm always encouraged when I see Christian fathers and mothers sitting together with their young children with their Bibles open. And they got smiles on their faces and they're just eager and ready to give excellent worship to an excellent God. I'm always encouraged when I, when I hear little children singing loud the songs that, that we're let in. That's always encouraging. I, I'm always encouraged when I, when, I, when I see parents teaching their children how to, how to give to God. I'm always encouraged when I see a little child putting a few coins in the collection plate. Maybe that's some the money they got from their piggy bank. That's so encouraging to see. I'm so encouraged when I see mommies and daddies with their young children and they're helping them follow along with the preacher, helping them turn to the verses, helping them get familiar with where books of the Bible are and where concepts and themes of the Bible are found. I'm so encouraged when I see parents who teach their children how to behave and worship service and how to show respect. I'm so encouraged when I see all these young people right here, these young people who hopefully understand the importance of what we're doing right now. Hopefully they're not texting their friends during the service or playing games on their phone or passing notes to their friends or goofing off with their friends. Hopefully they understand that what we're doing right now is serious business. God is watching. We've got to give him honor. I'm encouraged by, by young people. I'm encouraged by teenagers who understand the importance of giving honor to God. I'm also encouraged by all the single parents and all of those who may be married to people who are not Christians. I'm encouraged by you also. I'm encouraged that even though you are single, or even though you may be married to somebody who's not a Christian, you're still here and you're trying to give God your best. You're still doing the best you can do. You're still bringing your kids to all the worship services, even though you got to wrestle with them all through the service. You're You're still trying your best to teach your children the need to serve God. God bless you. We're encouraged by you. We're encouraged by all the single mothers who are here this morning worshiping God with their kids. And we're encouraged by all the single fathers who are here this morning worshiping God with their kids. And we're also encouraged by the grandparents. We're also encouraged by the widows. We're encouraged by all the people here who love the Lord and want to give him the best service possible. May God bless you. May God bless your family. I'm reminded of what the Hebrew writer says to us in Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. Here the Hebrew writer says, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I know typically when we go to these verses, we like to highlight the part where the, where the Bible says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And certainly that's an important point that needs to be made. That is something that we always need to preach. We always need to teach that. But in addition to making that point, another thing I really want to highlight here is how, according to what the Hebrew writer says in verse number 24, in addition to bringing honor and glory to God, when we assemble to worship our being here, our being here with our spouse and our being here with our kids, that also does something for other people. That also does something for brothers and sisters in Christ. It actually encourages them. It stimulates others to to love and good deeds. How often do you think about that? How often do you consider the fact that how when you come here and you worship God with your family, you are encouraging so many people, you are stimulating so many different people to love and good works. You're stimulating the Sheelys. You're stimulating the Jeffreys and the Johnsons and the Willies, and all the different families who are representing or who are represented here today. Whenever we just show up to worship God with all of our hearts, we encourage. We encourage all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We stimulate each other to love and good deeds. That's what the Bible says, right? Godly families can serve the Lord by worshiping God together. By gathering with people of like precious faith on the first day of the week, but not only can godly families worship God together, a second thing that godly families can do is they can grow in the word of God together. They can grow in the word of God, not just in the worship assembly, but also outside of the worship assembly. Will you go in your Bible, please, Acts chapter 10 this morning. Look at Acts chapter 10. Do you remember how in Acts chapter 10 we read about Cornelius? Remember, Cornelius was the first Gentile convert. He's the first Gentile to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, I want you to notice how in Acts 10 and verse 24, before telling us about Cornelius being converted before telling us about how Peter preached the gospel to Cornelius. The Bible says in Acts 10 and verse 24 that Cornelius called together his relatives and his close friends. Do you see that? He called together his relatives and his close friends to come and hear the word of God. Let me ask you something. Would you agree that the relatives that are mentioned there in that verse would include his wife? would include his children, maybe even include his grandchildren, if he had some. Would you agree that that would include all of those who were part of his immediate family? Of, Of course it would. Of course it would. You see, Cornelius was the kind of man who believed in studying the word of God with his family. He believed in studying the word of God with the people who were closest to him in his life. The question is, what about us? Are are we like Cornelius? Like Cornelius, do we make opportunities in our home to study the word of God with our spouse and, and with our kids? Are we constantly cultivating a culture of love for the word of God in our homes? I mean, do we do things like? Daily Bible reading in our homes. Brother Brian did a lesson from the Bible reading this morning, and let me just ask you: Have you been keeping up with that Bible reading schedule this year? You've been making time to read just one chapter a day, five days a week from the New Testament. You've been doing that—that that Bible reading alone. You've been doing that Bible reading with your spouse. You've been doing it with your kids. Have you at least been talking about the Bible reading with your spouse and and with your kids? Do you even know if your kids are reading their Bible every day? Do you know if your kids are prepared for Bible classes before they walk through those doors on Sunday? Do you even know what your kids are learning in their Bible classes? Do you understand that the Bible teaching they get here in this place two days a week is to be a small supplement at best? It is to be just a small percentage of the great bulk of teaching that they should be getting at home. Do you understand that the primary teacher of your kids when it comes to the Bible should not be their Bible class teachers? Instead, it should be you, the parent. Godly families can grow in the word of God together. They should be growing in the word of God together every day. But not only can godly founders grow in the word of God together, you know what else they can do to serve the Lord? They can also pray for others. They can offer petitions to God on behalf of others. You know, it is interesting how throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, we are admonished to pray for so many people. You ever notice that? For example, in 1 Timothy 2, Paul says that we need to pray for people in positions of authority. In our case, that would mean we need to pray for our president. doesn't matter what political party they come from, we pray for our president. We pray for our congressmen. We pray for our judges. We pray for our mayors. We pray for our governor. We pray for everybody in positions of authority. Paul also says we need to pray for all men. Paul also says we need to pray for one another. He also says we need to pray for those who spread the gospel. He even says that we ought to pray for those who confess their sins. We're told throughout the Bible to pray for so many different people. And we need to be doing that. We need to be doing it every single day. We need to be doing it with our families every single day. Every single day we need to be praying for our government leaders with our families. Every single day we need to be praying for the shepherds of this church and the deacons of this church with our families. Every single day we need to be praying for the sick and the grieving and the weak and those who have wandered away from the Lord. We need to be praying for these people with our families. We need to be praying with our spouse. We need to be praying with our kids. In fact, we need to be teaching our kids how to pray. We need to be teaching our kids how to pray in such a way that pleases God. Remember, that's what Jesus did for the disciples in Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. He taught them how to pray in such a way that glorifies God. We need to be doing that for our kids. Godly families can pray together. They can pray for others together. And you know what else they can do? They can also serve others together. They can also serve other people in the local church together. I'm going in my Bible to the book of Titus. I want to show you some verses here very quickly. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. I'm going to kind of just blitz through some verses here. And Titus 2 and verse 14, Paul says that Jesus gave his life to redeem and purify for himself a people, at the end of verse 14 for his own possession of people who are zealous for good deeds. Do you see that? Zealous for good deeds. That's the kind of people we need to be. And chapter three in verse number one, he says that we need to be ready for every good deed. And chapter three in verse eight, he says we need to engage in good deeds. And then in verse 14 of chapter three, he says our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Notice how in the book of Titus, The Apostle Paul emphasizes how God wants us, his people, to be excited about his work. He wants us to be zealous about his work. He wants our entire families to be zealous about his work. He wants our entire families to be looking for opportunities to invest ourselves in His work. Someone says, how do we do that? How do we invest ourselves in the work of God? What are some practical things that I can do with my family, even today, to serve God and serve others? Well, let's start with this. Let's start with this. Let's start by understanding that one thing that you can do with your family every single time you come here to serve others and serve him is you can follow the 10 minute rule. You know the 10 minute rule is. We can just make it even simpler. We call it the five minute rule. The five minute rule is after we get done with the closing song, instead of turning and talking to the same people you talk to every single Sunday for 30 minutes. How about going and spending five minutes seeking out some guests? Go find some guests. Go find some wonderful people who have taken the time to visit this worship assembly and try to get to know them better. Make them feel welcome. Thank them for being here. Ask them what brought them our way and invite them to come back again. That's something you can do with your family every single Sunday. Every Sunday you can greet guests with your family. You know what else you can do? You can also write cards. And make phone calls to all the sick members who are listed in our family talk. You can do that with your family. You can also check on widows. You can invite them into your home for a meal. If they're uncomfortable with doing that during this time, then you can ask them to meet you at a restaurant. You can can try to provide companionship to some people who may be struggling with loneliness, especially around this time of the year. You and your family can also make a meal and drop it off at the doorstep of a shut-in. Maybe they're not comfortable with you coming in their home right now because of COVID. Well, you can drop the meal off at the doorstep. You can also look around this morning and take notice of the people who have not been here in the last eight or nine months. You can make it your mission today, you and your family, to try to contact those people. Ask them how they're doing. Tell them you miss them. Find out about their spiritual status. Help the shepherds. Help our shepherds. Make sure that nobody slips through the spiritual cracks during this time of pandemic. There are just so many ways, so many ways in which me and my family and you and your family can serve God and serve other people in this local church. In fact, probably the greatest way in which we could serve God and others in this local church is by helping qualify men for godly leadership and service. That's right, godly families can help qualify men for godly leadership and service. I don't know how much y'all travel around the country and visit other congregations, but due to a meeting schedule that I I keep every year so this year, (laughs) I usually have the opportunity to visit other churches, and one of the things that I have noticed, one of the things that is true about the Lord's Church today, especially in the conservative Church of Christ, is there continues to be a great need for leadership. There continues to be a great need for elders and deacons in the Lord's church. You see, unfortunately, the vast majority of churches in this country are not organized like the Monte Vista Church of Christ. We're spoiled a little bit. Most churches are not organized like us. Most churches do not have elders and they do not have deacons. They are lacking, as Paul says in Titus one in verse number five. There is a leadership void in the Lord's church today, and here's my question. My question is, why is that? Why is there a leadership void in the church today? Why do the vast majority of churches do not have shepherds and deacons? Well, one reason, one reason why that is, is because so many churches do not have qualified men. They do not have men who meet the character qualifications of the scriptures and they do not have men who meet the family qualifications of scripture. You see a major element of requirements for a man being qualified to be an elder or a deacon in the church involves his family. It absolutely involves his family, it involves his wife and it involves his kids. Go in your Bible. First Timothy chapter three. Let's look at what the apostle Paul says. First Timothy three. We look at 1 Timothy 3 in verse number 2. In 1 Timothy 3 in verse 2, Paul says an overseer. An overseer is a bishop. That is synonymous with a man being a pastor, an elder, or shepherd. Same thing. An overseer then must be above reproach. He must be the husband. He must be a married man, the husband of one wife. The idea there is he's devoted to his wife. He is faithful to his wife. Now look at verse number 4. Verse 4 says, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Verse 11. Women, the wives, have qualifications also. They must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons, special servants in the church must be husbands of only one wife. They must be faithful to their wives and good managers of their children and their own households. Go to Titus now. Titus chapter one. Look at verse six. Titus chapter one, verse number six. After Paul told Titus, to appoint elders in every city, every area in Crete. He says in Titus 1 and verse 6, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife having children who believe, some translations say faithful children, that's more of an accurate translation, faithful children not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Notice how one of the key qualifications that a man must meet in order to serve as a leader in the church is he must, he must be qualified as a good leader of his family. Many of the qualifications have to do with a man's family. A man's family plays a critical role in him being qualified for this work. That's what the Bible says. And so you know what that means? That means that if we have men here who are in their 30s, Or in their 20s, and you one day want to be an elder or a deacon in this church, the time to start working on that is not 20 or 30 years from now. It's not when you reach retirement, it's not when you get older in life. Instead, the time to start working on that is right now. It's today. Today, in addition to working on your own Christian character, you also need to be getting your house in order. You also need to be striving to be a good leader of your family. You also need to call a meeting in your living room today and you need to tell your wife and your kids about your desire to be a leader of God's people. You need to call a meeting in your house today and let your family know, hey, I want to be an elder. I want to be a shepherd in the church. You need to stress to them the importance of godly leadership in the church. You need to study the qualifications with your family. You need to pray about this with your family. You need to work together with your family to make sure the qualifications as far as family goes, are met. And the wives and the children of these men. You need to support the head of your family as he prepares for this work. You need to commend him for desiring this work. You need to live right. You need to live righteously so you can help qualify him for this work. You need to understand that how you live, your conduct may well determine whether or not your husband or your father will serve as a leader of God's people. And so here they are. Here are five practical things that we can all do with our families to serve God. Here are five things that we can do that will help us be better spouses, better children, better parents, better servants of God. There are five things we can do to serve the Lord with our families, but maybe there is somebody here this morning and you're not part of the most important family there is, and that is the family of God. Let me tell you something. You can go to heaven without having a physical family. You can go to heaven without being married and without having kids, but you cannot go to heaven without being part of God's family. And so if there's somebody here this morning and you want to be become part of God's family by believing in Jesus and repenting of your sins and being baptized for the remission of your sins, if we can help you with with that today, with getting right with God, it will be our pleasure and our honor. Let us help you with that right here and right now as we stand and we sing.